Welcome to the VBAC Home Birth Stories podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Winning. I'm a home birth, free birth guide, fear and mindset coach, podcaster, speaker, women's rights activist, and highly sensitive person. I'm a mother of three girls, and I've had two unplanned and unneeded C-sections with a special scar. I birthed our third 4.5 kilo baby at home in a free birth after not being able to access a home birth midwife. My own journey has sparked a deep passion to support women to find their strength and courage to create the pregnancy, birth and postpartum you desire and deserve. This podcast is for women wanting to learn more about VBATs, especially home births, and professionals who want to learn more about how to support VBAC women and families. I hope you enjoy this podcast. I'm excited to introduce you to our Home Birth Group Mentoring Program, designed to support and empower pregnant women just like you who are planning a beautiful home birth experience. By joining my special waitlist, you'll be the first to know when the doors to my program open. Not only that, you'll also gain access to special early bird pricing, giving you the opportunity to secure your spot at a discounted rate. But wait, there's more. As a member of the waitlist, you'll also receive my newsletter filled with valuable home birth resources, information and tips to support you throughout your journey. Are you looking for a nurturing community to help you feel more prepared, confident and supported during this incredible journey? My program is precisely what you need. It offers eight carefully selected modules that I've created with love that will guide you through every step of your home birth preparation. Throughout the program, we'll focus on helping you surrender and tune into intuition and baby, while also connecting with like-minded mums who are on a similar path. Our two monthly video calls, which I like to call connection calls, will be an opportunity for you to bond, share experiences and learn from one another and deeply feel supported while being guided by me through this journey. So click on the link below to join our waitlist and be the first to access these amazing benefits. Let's walk this path together, creating the strength and the love that brings new life into the world through the miraculous journey of home birth. I can't wait to support you in our community. Hello and welcome to another episode on the VBAC Home Birth Stories podcast. I'm your host, Ashley, and today I have a wonderful guest who I've been waiting to get on for a while, but we have done some work off of the podcast together recently. It is the fabulous Lizzie Carroll, who is a VBAC mentor, and I came across Lizzie very oh many years ago in the VBAC Australia community. She moderates a huge VBAC community and I remember her serving up some VBAC truths quite bluntly uh, back in the day and my little sensitive heart was kind of fluttering a bit when I was learning all the lingo and all the things because I wasn't actually very understanding of how the system was back there but you were very understanding Lizzie and you've been supporting women in this capacity for a very long time so welcome to the podcast share a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much for having me. You're right. We are a few years overdue for this. Yeah. Um, I am Lizzie Carroll. I have been um, working in the VBAC world for 11 years now, which is makes me feel a little bit old. I have three children. Um, my first was an unplanned caesarean. My second was another 
um, planned cesarean. I was hoping for a VBAC. And my third was an amazing free birth at home after those cesareans. Similar stories with our little unplanned cesareans and similar kind of journeys as well, which is why we resonate so much with each other, I think. And I think, when did you have your free birth? It was just before mine, I think, maybe a year before. Uh, Yeah, so my free birth is, she is going to turn six later this year. Six, so it was a couple of years. So what year was she born then? 2017. 2017, yeah, because my six-year-old, she's 2016. Yeah, so it was quite a few years before. So you probably were one of the people that kind of sparked my, oh, what's this? What's this thing? Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks for coming and thanks for being here today. We're going to do a bit of an overview of your births. We're going to have a quick jump over your births to see where you came from. And then we're going to get into some VBAC goodness. Sounds like a fabulous plan. Awesome. Fabulous plan. (laughs) All righty. Well, my first birth was my big girl is going to be turning 12 later this year. So it was a while back. I was young. I was healthy. I was really wanting just a normal, natural birth. I floated the idea of a home birth with my partner and he poo-pooed that idea. Um, So we decided to go through our local birth centre, which, look, the midwives were lovely, but the processes, the procedures, the interventions, everything was the same. So I was, I considered myself reasonably knowledgeable about birth. I knew that I wanted a normal natural birth. Um, I knew that I didn't want, um, I didn't want an induction. I didn't want an epidural. In fact, the instructions I gave my partner was to not let anyone come near me with a needle or scissors. However, I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes, which we oh yeah. <laughs> the GD diagnoses. Yay. That's right. Exactly. It's test too. So many women. My book. GD. Yep. Yeah. It, I did not know that I could decline the test. I did not know what implications it would have. I didn't know that it was going to completely screw up my birth. And you didn't know that, it, you know, GD is not really a thing, but they make a big song and dance about it, don't they? Yes. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Everything I have learnt since then, I'm like, oh, how could this happen? And it was managed with diet. I barely changed my diet. Um Everything was great, but it meant extra obstetric appointments, more ultrasounds. It meant I couldn't give birth in the birth centre. And it meant that I was very, very heavily pressured into induction. Even though you were diet controlled and maintaining well, yeah. Yep. Yep. And this would have been at the crazy time when they would have just lowered all of the numbers down. It was before then. Oh, before then. Yes. That's interesting that you got higher numbers before then and then had no problems with diet. That's right. Mm-hmm. Were you sick or anything when you got your test done? 
Oh, the test made me yeah. awfully ill. Um, yeah. So that's but, yeah. some sort of error or something with that. And well. I was extremely stressed, which we yeah. know impacts levels. I had a guest on our um, show who had one of those monitors all the time. And when she went into the hospital, her blood sugar levels skyrocketed through the roof like your blood pressure does. And so they yeah. don't necessarily recognise that, but I was having sweats when I went into the um, get my GTT test done because they were worried about finding my veins because I've got rolly veins. Oh, no. HG and she was freaking out. And, I, and as an empath, I could feel her and a people oh, pleaser. So I was, like, going to vomit this stuff up while sweating. I almost fainted. I had to lay down on the bed. And you think back and you think, where was the common sense with that? You know, sick people getting these tests done, of course your numbers are going to be a little bit elevated. Uh, you know, it's ridiculous. And then the impact that happens from that diagnosis is irreparable. You know, it it's, uh, don't get me started. Yeah. It's too much. <laughs> <laughs> I find with a lot of women, this is the first step in the cascade of interventions, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, if anyone says GD, I'm like, oh, God, like, God help us because this is a fight, you know. So yeah. if you can avoid it, then that's the best way. Absolutely, absolutely. And, of course, when I went into the hospital to discuss induction, my blood pressure skyrocketed because mm. the obstetrician basically said to me, we've got you here. Um if you're not in labour in the next couple of days, we're going to induce you. That's going to increase your chance of having a cesarean. Let's do a VE. Now let's check your blood pressure. Like, what the hell? Of course it was through the roof. Yeah. And, of course, then we were sitting there and he's going, okay, well, your blood pressure is really high. We want to induce you right now, right this minute. And as he kept talking, I actually said to my partner, I said, I can feel my blood pressure going up and up and up as he's talking to me um it was very much got us into that cascade and yeah. it wasn't till I left the hospital and I came back and my blood pressure was perfect and we never have to advocate for ourselves in this way we're not used to doing this or talking back to doctors it's um we want to be good girls so uh it's a nightmare isn't it it is. And to be honest, when I look back at how many times I said no and how many things I declined and how hard I fought, I'm like, wow, I, I can actually have a lot of empathy for past Lizzie yeah. who did really freaking well yeah. given the circumstances in that first pregnancy and first birth. Yes, I um I think of the same for myself like and that is a, it's really challenging to do that process and then still be met with the end like because they wear you down and it's yes. it's a lot to have to do all of that and good well done to everyone who can take that step and be brave enough to put themselves out there but the anxiety that can follow the fear the worry the concern it's just a lot to have to bear Yep, I won't lie. It like it totally ruined the final days of my pregnancy where I should have just been 
enjoying life and having coffee and ice cream and walks in nature, I was so stressed. Yeah. Constantly stressed about making myself go into labor so that I wouldn't have to have an induction. And I mean, I ended up with an induction and a full cascade over Mm -hmm. something like three days. I think it was a Wednesday evening I was admitted and it was Saturday morning when baby was born. Yeah. It's a lot, it isn't was, it? Yeah. It was really shit. Yeah. So you had your first baby via cesarean. And how did you kind of go on with your second babe? Well, um, the first thing I Googled when I got home from the hospital was how do I have a VBAC? Um. I knew that I did not want another cesarean. The entire process from pregnancy through to being finally discharged from hospital when baby was about a week old was so stressful, so Mm. disempowering, so demoralising. I just knew I needed to do something different. Um, We moved um, in between having baby number one and baby number two. Um, we moved to Brisbane and I went to the birth talk sessions, um, with, um, Debbie and Melissa. Yes. I was going to say, if you don't remember their names, I've got their book somewhere. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It it was amazing being able to go and have those conversations. And I remember the first time I told my birth story there, it took like two hours. It was midnight before we actually finished up the session. Wow. It was absolutely insane. Did you do um, a one-on-one session with them? Or did no, you it was a group session. Group thing. I tried to get into one of those group things, but by the time I was going in that world, they were only doing them sparingly every now and then. So it sounds like you were lucky to get into that. When I they was. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it was so good and I just knew that I wanted to do everything differently. Um, I found my no. It was no for everything and... <laughs> it was no for... Actually, Lizzie, I have to admit, I my second birth, I knew I needed to say no to everything because basically your group and you were saying no, 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 but I didn't <laughs> have the knowledge as to why. I just It was just like induction is you know the risk of a cesarean I was like no no but yes I um I, I got the nose from you in the group fabulous, you did a good fabulous. Job. it's very <laughs> powerful to find your no it is <laughs> however my problem in my second pregnancy was that I had no understanding of the politics of the system and how the system yeah. worked yeah yeah you know, I I did. I said no you had to, to everything. The next level, didn't you? Now, yeah. Then you had to learn the next level, Liz. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that was the big, um, the big thing I learned. You know, through my first, I learned about birth, how birth works, interventions, and I learned to say no. In my second, I had to learn how to integrate. You know, well, the fact that the system isn't designed to support women. Yeah. I again, I had midwifery care with a uh, MGP midwife, but it was really obstetric care, just provided by a midwife. 
at our community centre rather than at the hospital. Um, I declined everything, but I still was, I, I call it reasonable woman syndrome. Yes. I still needed them to believe that I was reasonable because if I'm reasonable, they'll treat me better, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so I tested my blood sugar levels religiously every day from 13 weeks and they were totally fine. I went to all the appointments that I was supposed to go to. I made sure I was doing blood tests. I didn't do the GTT, but I did do, you know, all the other stuff. I declined the anti-D injections. I declined all the things along the way. Um, and the injection is for? Because I'm a negative blood type. Yeah. So they do them during pregnancy and they do them after birth. The ones during pregnancy are generally considered not exactly necessary for every woman okay um so I declined all of that and then my baby decided to stay put and stay put and stay put and 42 weeks came and went (laughs) and well you're really tired at 42 weeks right yeah Yeah. and did you have a mindset of you had an expectation of baby coming sooner or were you no no okay because that's another minefield to have to kind of venture through it is I hadn't told anyone when baby was due um despite my mother going no 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 you can't just tell me it's in June you have to um and all of that sort of stuff I had said mid-June I was expecting to go to 42 weeks I had explained to my midwife that I was expecting to go to 42 plus weeks and that I would not consider induction at any stage. However, at 42 weeks and four days, Mm. the midwife, basically, I went in and I said, look, no, I'm still not interested in induction. I don't think it's the best option for me. And she was like, well, I disagree and walked out. She brought back the head of midwifery to tell me that my concerns were pointless, were not valid. Then they got, (laughs) excuse me, then they got the head of obstetrics to come and talk to me so that he could tell me that I must want a vaginal birth more than a live baby. Mm. Because, yes, uh, baby and I were perfectly healthy. Mm. I will say that at the outset, there were no issues with my blood pressure. There were no issues with my blood sugar levels. Baby was moving. I'd been coming in for regular CTG. Baby was perfectly healthy. I was perfectly healthy. But because I was 42 weeks and four days, apparently baby and I were both going to drop dead any second. And you're now an unreasonable woman. Mm-hmm. So that would be very uncomfortable when you're trying to be logical and reasonable and not emotional or or human. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, at this same time, my daughter had hand, foot and mouth disease. So <laughs> my partner and my daughter couldn't be in this appointment with me. Okay. I was on my own. I had the midwives basically 
laughing at the obstetrician's stupid jokes that he was making along the way. And I was very much isolated. Mm. Um, my doula also was starting to do the whole, well, maybe you should consider acupuncture and this and that and all of mm. those sorts of things. Um, so it was, it was hard. It was hard. And the next day I went in because I said to them, you know, being reasonable, what if I come in tomorrow for some more CTG? Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Um, so I went I in myself on the platter. That's right. <laughs> that's right. One more of you. <laughs> it was, oh, it was so shit. Yeah. But I went in, I had some CTG and I had another stretch and sweep. Because again, if I'm saying no to hooking me up to all the Cinto and everything, I should be doing something right to keep them happy. Uh, during the stretch and sweep, my waters broke, which um, started a whole nother cascade. My waters broke. There was meconium because I was 42 and a half weeks. I had nothing with me. I wanted to go home and get my bag. I was told, no, I couldn't. Um, I was told I was not allowed to leave the hospital at all, which, I mean, we all know now is complete bullshit, right? So that was a whole nother cascade. Uh, not as long as the first cascade. Um, <clears throat> baby was born that night at nine o'clock. And they, of course, wanted continuous monitoring on baby. They were, I was in just a little like assessment room, which was actually really nice. And they kept me there for probably an hour or so while they were trying to find me a bigger, nicer um, birth suite. To be honest, that hour laboring just me and my partner with the occasional Doppler check in that room was amazing. It was the best where, part of the whole experience. And you were in labor too. Yeah. <clears throat> labor kicked off pretty much straight away. Was it hard and fast or was it progressive? It actually kicked off quite hard and fast. It yeah. didn't really have that nice build up. I find that with the, that my experience with the waters broken. And so for anyone listening, if you're thinking about getting your waters broken or anything, it actually can be a more challenging way to birth. It definitely can. Definitely. Um, so yeah, it kicked off hard and fast. they when we finally got into the birth suite, like I don't know why they bothered spending so much time trying to find me a big room because I was mm. tied to the machine. <clears throat> I was tied to the CTG. I got up to go to the toilet um, at one stage and the midwife was actually like calling out to me to hurry up so that I could get back and get back on the monitor. It was. This is all because awful. of the meconium. Uh, and, and because I was past 42 weeks and I supposedly had a giant baby and I was being very unreasonable by wanting to just let whatever will be will be. Yeah. Um, so were you so on your back or were you sitting on the bed? What was kind of where were you at rushing? At this stage I was sitting on a birth ball at the end of the bed, oh. leaning on the bed, Um 
And then at some stage, I started to feel quite lightheaded. So, of course, they suggested that I lie down on the bed, which I did. And I don't think I ever got off the bed again. Um, once I lay down, every time I moved off my back, Bub's heart rate would go really low. So I would say the pre-labor rupturing my waters combined with, um, you know, a few different things. Bub's cord probably wasn't in a great spot. So each time I moved then, Bub's cord was getting slightly compressed. <clears throat> um Look, we went through till eight centimetres. I got an epidural then in a sort of last-ditch effort to help things. And then the obstetrician came in and told me that there would be no more trying for vaginal births for me. I'm just not designed to birth my babies. And that was it. I just I completely burst into tears. I was hysterical. Um, all the way through to the operating room um, where my baby boy was born. I um, I did, though, um, advocate for myself along the way. In my first birth, one of the most traumatic experiences was having the spinal administered. So epidurals don't work on me. Um, we have established <laughs> they just wear off and they don't top back up. So they took the epidural out and did a spinal, um, which they did in my first birth as well. And I was able to advocate for Dave being there with me while that was happening. Um, I was also very clear that baby and Dave were not to leave the operating room at all while I was in there. <clears throat> so there were better things. My doula actually got herself allowed into recovery which was an absolute godsend did your baby and your your partner leave in the first c-section yes how come they will how come they were kicked out or um to be honest i am not sure because that is not normal they sent baby to special care i think it had to do with the fact that i had gd probably because baby was in special care yeah and meconium. And... There was no meconium in the first one, though, was there? Yeah, there was. Oh, okay. She was almost, she was 41 and a half weeks. Okay, yeah. yeah. So they panicked, took the baby straight to special care and, and your yeah. hubby partner went, okay. Yeah. So, yes, I can understand why you wanted to make that, that the baby and your, and your yeah. partner stay there. So it's yeah. good to know if anyone finds themselves in that situation, of course, they can advocate for themselves. And also if they are to find themselves in that situation, that that's how they probably will behave. They'll want to whisk the baby away to special care and then your partner will be left to choose between you and the baby. And the mother always selflessly says, go with the baby. And then yes. the mother is left alone. Yes. So those are food for thought. It is, it is, and it's something that I actually talk about with clients mm. is, okay, what if baby genuinely needs to be whisked away? What do you want to have happen? Yeah. Um, and I had a client who actually got me to gown up as well as dad so that if bub and dad had to go somewhere, I could go into the operating room and be with her yeah. while things were finishing up. That's good. Yeah. So you had your baby by C-section. Everything was okay and baby was well. Yep. 
we went home um, like less than 48 hours later. Okay. I hate okay. hospitals, mm. cannot stand hospitals. It was so isolating. Dave had to be at home with our daughter. Yeah. Had hand, foot and mouth um, mm. and wasn't allowed to come into the hospital and there was all this stuff going on. So I went home and, like, the first week at home was awful. I was in constant pain. It was cold. It was Brisbane in winter. It was cold. And everything just I can't kind say of it was cold. There could be people from Melbourne and they'll think that our cold is not cold. I know, right? <laughs> We're all cringing. It's so cold. It's 10 oh. degrees. 20 degrees. <laughs> and you got people, yes. like, I've got people in like family in the UK and my sister's like, look at the snow. I'm like, yeah, but it's cold, you know? Yeah, I know. You get so used to your area. And, and it is funny because I'm from Ballarat in Victoria. Um, so I'm from Melbourne too. And yeah, and that, so you get used to your temperature. Um, you do. Also, one of my friends did say to me, because I had all summer babies, winter babies are the worst because you've got to get up and breastfeed and you're freezing cold. And if you're pregnant in winter, then heavily pregnant you've got to wear like jeans or something and so it's like all more like and I was like never thought about that because I never had to go through that so just a little tip out there for everyone these are the things yes yeah yes I made sure I had like I had my nursing singlets and I had flannels and I had big jackets so mm. that it was easy to open things at the front and still keep my back warm yeah that's a good tip too yeah yeah it was ridiculous but um, we had baby and I was very determined that that was never going to happen again. Mm. From the very outset, I was very much, my next baby will be a free birth. Um, and <clears throat> after... Straight for free birth and not for a midwife. Mostly because I knew that there was, I had Buckley's of getting a midwife. Because mm. at this point, you're a doula. You've been working in the VBAC group for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh you understand you know people you mm -hmm. understand what's happening and back then they weren't really supporting many VBAC after twos but now there are a lot of midwives that seem to be except more accepting and there also seems to be a lot more midwives available now yes. especially in Brisbane Gold Coast area yes because there was Buckley's when I and now there's like a plethora of them and I'm like do you do VBAC do you do VBAC yes I do yes I do oh okay yes cool. I I struggled to find a midwife for so my second baby I really wanted a home birth but I couldn't find a midwife wow. mm. and I wasn't confident enough in having a free birth at that stage mm. okay. so, so yeah. your mindset's out this is where you were on your journey you mm -hmm. decided you're going to do free birth yep okay I just went and and then we moved we moved up to Cairns okay we had a whole lot of other stuff going on but sort of four years later and I'm like oh, I'm pregnant surprise I was like oh okay fabulous I'm like so this is what we're doing this time I was very very clear that it was going to be a free birth no intervention I had made my decisions around what I wanted and what I didn't want. I went and I saw a GP. I didn't, it wasn't a GP that I'd seen before, but I went in and I was very much, these are the tests I want done. No, I'm not having a dating scan. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. 
She's like, oh, okay. She printed out the referral for the blood tests. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not doing that one. You forgot to put this one on. Mm. Um, I think she was very befuddled. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I later in the, the first trimester, I had a little bit of spotting. Being a negative blood type, um, they wanted to do anti-D and all of this sort of stuff. I had enough information that I asked for some different testing and I declined the anti-D, which also put her a little bit yeah. What was the reasoning for you declining anti-D for anyone listening who has a similar situation as you? Um, so for me, I did a lot of reading. I read the... Um, I can't think what the name of it is, but it's like a national organization around blood products. So anti-D is a blood product. Um, I just, I just, I decided that I didn't feel like anti-D was going to be beneficial for me. At that stage, we were in a worldwide shortage of anti-D. Um, so I, there was uncertainty around where the product was coming from, all and of what that was sort of like stuff. Going to help you with? Can you explain exactly what? <laughs> now we're getting very technical. So if mum is a terms in short form, possibly. Right. If mum is a negative blood type and baby is a positive blood type, if baby's blood mixes in with mum's, antibodies are created, which can cause miscarriage. It's generally not that pregnancy that is at risk, it's future pregnancies. So the anti-D basically goes through and mops up all the blood cells from baby. <clears throat> the testing that I had done is called Kleihauer test, which checks if there's any fetal blood cells in mum's blood. Okay. How do fetal blood cells get in mum's blood? Normally through trauma. So if you fall over, have a car accident, generally if there's any sort of bleeding, they're concerned that it means there's been a mixing of blood. Okay. All right, and the positive baby is because the partner is a positive blood type? Yes. Okay, so it's when there's a positive male with a negative female and the potential of a positive baby. That's okay. right. Yeah, cool. But we don't know if baby's going to be positive or negative until baby's born. Yes. So there's a lot of uh, lots of uncertainties and yes. you probably looked at the risks of them and came to your own conclusions. Yes. But it's that extra thing. So that was good. I don't think we've had anyone on the podcast with that before. So it's good for the explanation. Cool. And yeah. And Thanks. I will say, read Sarah Wickham's work on anti-D. Okay. <clears throat> she has done a lot and it is brilliant. If you have a negative blood type, if you're being recommended anti-D, Sarah Wickham is your go-to woman for that. Awesome. Thanks for the recommendation. That's a good one. No worries. Auntie D, Sarah Wickham. And I also had, I just had a really strong feeling that it just wasn't necessary. Yep. And it wasn't because baby turned out to have a negative blood type herself, um, which was wonderful. So after all of this, my GP told me that I should have Auntie D or I had a very, 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 very high risk of baby dying, which was, um, you know, I was standing there going, well, that's actually not true, very alarmist. And then she wrote a letter to the hospital saying that she could not see me as a patient anymore because of uh, my alternative beliefs. I declined a dating scan. I didn't do this. So basically she wouldn't have me as a patient because I wouldn't do as I was told. 
I had also at the time, I wanted to go with the midwifery group program at the hospital for the antenatal care and the postnatal care. However, I was declined from that because I refused to have obstetric led care. In the midwifery group program. I know, right? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. So it's like a wolf in sheep's clothing. It was very, very interesting when I spoke to the midwife and I said, I'm really looking forward. I'm glad I got accepted. I'm really looking forward to having midwifery care. And she's rung me up and she's gone, you do have to see the obstetrician. Like the obstetrician is your lead carer. I'm like, well, that's not midwifery care. No. What the heck is the MGP doing if I'm still like, I'm not going to see an obstetrician. Yeah. Um, So I got kicked out of that. I wasn't allowed to be in that and that was when a friend said to me you had MGP care in your last two pregnancies and it sucked why do you want it this time mm. and I'm like, oh, that's a really good point so that was probably the first space where I kind of I'd been saying I was going to have a free birth for four years it had always been my thing but I don't think my body had really I don't think it had sunk in it wasn't something I was living yet your body or your mind I think it was like it hadn't really sunk in on a cellular level Mm. my mind was going yes I'm having a free birth that is what I'm doing no one can stop me I'm doing all this stuff but I was still in that reasonable woman space Mm. I was still yes I'm going to do that but I've also got to do all these things yeah I went to the booking in appointment at the hospital because I still felt like I needed to have a relationship with the hospital in case there was an emergency and I needed to go in. I was still very much in that sort of space at Mm. that time. And look, I went in and the midwife said, oh no, so we'll book you in for a cesarean. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not having a cesarean. I'm having a VBAC. It's like, we don't do VBAC after two cesarean. And I was like, yeah, you do. And I'm having one. And she was like, no, 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 you'll need to talk to the obstetrician about that. So it was really, um, really hard to, I guess, move through, to move through all of that and, you know, go, no, all right, this is what I'm doing. This is what I want to do. I wanted to have the morphology scan at 20 weeks. Mm -hmm. That was important to me, being a VBAC after two cesareans. It had nothing to do with me being reasonable. It was very much to do with me wanting to check where the placenta was placed. Because we know that after, you know, the more cesareans you have, the higher your risk of things like placenta previa and placenta accreta. Yeah. It was important to me to check that. So I did that. And just so people listening, placenta um, previa is where the placenta is over the cervix and accretia is where the cervix, uh, the placenta can be embedded in the scar tissue, which is, one of the reasons why I had the scan as well, because I wanted to see the placement. I always had anterior, but for the free birth, it was posterior, which was amazing. I was really excited when the sonographer said, oh, yeah, no, your placenta's all the way up the top. It's it's fundal. I'm like, yes. yes. <laughs> but isn't it? It's just one less thing to have to worry about, which That's we shouldn't right. have to worry about, but it's a risk of C-sections and they do not disclose that information. Uh, or any of the other risks until you have to sign your life away on those three to six pages before they usher you in. That's right, exactly. So I did that. I was still very much 
I was still a bit in my reasonable woman space where I was like, no, I want to talk to the head of obstetrics because she's the one that's got to sign off on everything anyway. And they're like, no, you've got to it's talk. To yeah. It's so e- interesting that you're having, like I had this, have this uh, conversation with somebody recently that you're having this conversation with people in the system about your VBAC in the hospital, but you're planning a free birth at home and you got sucked into that loop because you were going in there and you got basically pulled along Hmm. without even realizing that you're getting pulled along for the ride, which can so easily happen. Usually it happens in the last stages of the pregnancy for women so subtly, but before you're doing, you're on their terms. So I was the opposite. I was very much sucked in in those first, the first two trimesters. Yeah. It wasn't until at around 32 weeks I had some reduced movements and I went into the hospital to get checked. And I actually had a really positive experience with the midwife that I saw. She was like, yep. We've got here that you're planning a free birth. I've told the obstetrician they're not told them you were having a free birth. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was very, very open with everybody that that was my plan. Okay. It was almost like an affirmation. You were brave. So (laughs) you were having conversations with the obstetricians about you free birthing. So not only were you, like, I thought you were telling them I'm having a VBAC, but they don't do VBACs after two but you were actually having conversations about having a free birth. We did have some of those conversations. Um, that would have been interesting conversations. They, their eyes, were they wide? A little bit. Because um, I had said, like, once they said, no, you can't speak to the head of obstetrics, we're not going to arrange that sort of appointment for you, I just went, well, okay, well, there's no point to me coming into the hospital anymore because I'm not going to see a junior obstetrician who's just going to tell me I'm not allowed to have, have a VBAC after two cesareans. I don't need those arguments. I'm done. Mm. Um, and that was when I just went, look, I'm just going to free birth and new people can shove it. Mm. But I went in and I had this quite positive experience with the midwife. Um, and she said, look, I've told them they're not to speak to you about how you're planning to birth. You're here for this reason today and this reason only. And that is what we're going to get checked out. And they were really good. Good. Um, I went back the next day because I was the movements were still reduced and the obstetrician I saw that day was atrocious. Mm. Um, and the midwife I saw that day was obviously very nervous. Um, it felt very much like she did not want to care for me because she was worried that I was going to, like, drop dead or something because that's what happens to free birthers. We just drop dead, apparently. Um, So she seemed really nervous. And then the obstetrician came in and said, oh, look, we'll arrange this appointment for you with Sam and we'll do this and we'll do that. And I'm like, you know what? Actually, I don't need any of that anymore. I'm over it. I am not going to meet with the head of obstetrics. I am not going to meet with anybody. Thank you for the referral for the ultrasound. And I'll see you later. Um, I didn't end up getting the ultrasound because baby's movements resolved. Everything was wonderful. But what that highlighted to me was that regardless of whether I had any relationship with the hospital or not, 
I was fully capable of going in and having my needs met. I was able to go in. I was able to articulate what it was I needed, mm-hmm. um, what would make me feel safe, and I was done. And I never saw the hospital again until after baby was born. Yeah. Uh, I did still go to see my GP. I had found a different GP. He was, like, as supportive as a GP is going to be. He knew I was planning a free birth. Um, I got to about 41 weeks and he's like, so what's your plan if you get to 42? I'm like, I'm just going to keep being pregnant until baby comes. It's like, is your partner supportive? Yep. Okay. Great. If you're feeling good about it. <laughs> yeah. I think he um, very much felt that if he, he knew that if he started to be unsupportive, I just wouldn't bother showing up. Yeah. So he was doing That's his thing best. at the end of the day, isn't it? It's not their space mm. to make your decisions for you. It's their space mm. to have conversations with an adult, not treat yeah. us like babies and allow us to live our lives. You know, there's a million people that come in that make wrong mis- decisions for their heart medications and their diabetes that could all be replaced. And they don't get lectured. They no. just get their drugs and they're sent on their way. And uh, birthing is such a taboo thing that they freak yes. out. But um, it's good that you had somebody that was at least willing to go for the ride at the end. Yes. And it was really interesting because I declined most aspects of normal care. I didn't let him measure my belly. There was no palpation. We didn't listen to Bob's heart rate. We did nothing except get my blood pressure taken. Mm-hmm. because I was concerned around, you know, I've often had borderline high blood pressure. So I was like, yep, we'll get that checked. Mm-hmm. And having some routine bloods that I wanted done. Um, and it was great. It was really good not being poked and prodded throughout my entire pregnancy. Um, and then we sort of, we came to the birth and it was amazing. I um I I was again expecting to go overdue. Mm-hmm. I had told everybody I was fully expecting to go to forty three weeks, and you know, so we were very disorganized. I was like forty weeks before we even got the birth pool sorted and the fittings and stuff. At forty one weeks, I woke up having a little bit of like period pain, crampy stuff. I sent my doula a message saying. Mm, could be early labor probably be doing this for another three weeks but just thought I'd let you know Mm -hmm. uh then we went and I just went about my day I had a beautiful big breakfast and I wrote a blog post and I did you know just usual normal stuff and then um Dave came home and we went to pick up the kids we were going to go up to Coranda for some acupuncture I'd been getting regular acupuncture because I had really bad SPD it was horrible. I was struggling to walk. I was struggling to get in and out of the car. It was really helping with the pain. So I was getting that. And my acupuncturist was very, like, we were very clear around, no, we're not doing induction acupuncture. We're just managing the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was super supportive of that. But this day we went to pick up the kids and I was sort of swaying a bit and, one of the teachers went, oh, are you all right? Are you in labour? I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. I'll be doing this for another two weeks. We're all good. Mm-hmm. 
Um, however, we hopped back in the car, started heading off, and I had a contraction as we went around a corner. And holy crap. At that point, I basically, I said to Dave, no, let's just go home and have a baby. I was like, I'm not going to make it up the Coranda range. I now understand why, like, well, I don't understand how women can get in the car and go to hospital in labour. Yeah. It was horrible. Yeah, because that this was your first experience of being in labour in the car. That's right. Yes, that was one of my reasons because it was not a lovely experience driving down. I remember my husband breathing and I was like, if you don't stop breathing, you're dead. <laughs> Not talk to me. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it was awful, and of course he had to go around every freaking roundabout he could find. <laughs> Probably at high speeds. <laughs> yeah. So we got home, and I hopped out of the car and just went into my little cave. Um, we had an ensuite, so I was really lucky that I could sort of cycle through um, being on the bed, being on the toilet, being in the shower. That's helpful. Yeah. And I tried to cycle through so that I wouldn't use all the hot water because yeah. that was a big fear of mine was using all the hot water. Mm. Things you're worried about when you free birth, right? Yeah. Well, if you've got a hot water system, mm. I have gas so I can, I've got endless oh. amounts. But, yes, I forget about those days where you've got to, Poured the hot water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I had, um, I got Dave to set up the birth pool. It hadn't been set up yet. He had to go next door and get the neighbor to help him with the compressor and all of that. And I could hear my neighbor, you know, growling at the kids, stay away from that. Don't touch that. Mm-hmm. Um, which was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> and it was all just so normal. Um, there came a point where Thomas, who was four and a half, he wanted to come in and lie on top of me while I was labouring to protect mummy and baby pumpkin from zombies. Aww. Which was very sweet, but he was supposed to be going to bed. Yeah. Um, and at one point, Ellie, who was six at the time, came in and she had drawn me a picture of walruses because I sounded like a walrus. <laughs> That's cute. Memories. It, eh? <laughs> it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And I also remember at one stage Dave come in and said he I he thought I was a ghost. Because I had been <laughs> because I was directly yeah, I was directly in front of the air conditioner. So when I'd stand up, I'd pull the sheet up so it was <laughs> over me. <laughs> And, of course, I was making noises like a, a ghost. <laughs> and you're probably going here, there and everywhere. <laughs> yes. Yes. And there was at one point I said to him, oh, look, call my doula, ring back, message back, tell her it's time, tell her to come, it's time. Yeah. And the next day I looked through my messages and he had literally sent her a message saying, come, it's time. <laughs> okay she's like okay I will come master yes (laughs) and once she got there she came in she was absolutely amazing um 
she asked me what I wanted and I just turned around and said, I just want my fucking birth pool. And she's like, okay, I'll go and see how that's going and I'll call your birth photographer while I'm at it, which I had completely forgotten about. And not long after I was in the pool, I was throwing up, uh, my waters were breaking, everything was happening. And, um, yeah, and then I started pushing and not long after, baby was born. Um, along the way, it was just... I always feel like the actual birth story is very much an anticlimax. Mm. I hear this with some of the home births. Yes. Mm. It was just, you know, I went into labour and I went home and I had a baby. Yeah. I, I I feel the same about mine and I've had clients have the same. And I'm of the mindset it's like, what was the big deal? What, what, what was all yes. that fuss about? I mean, it was just a normal thing. And then... Mm. Like you just do your time in labour, you do what you have to do, and then the baby's born and say la vie. Yes. Yeah. It was fabulous. My doula was bringing me over honey and stuff to keep my energy up. Dave was in the pool doing hip squeezes. But she, My doula even put the kids to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, and then I gave birth with my kids, my big kids soundly sleeping. Um, a baby did kind of whoosh through though. It was actually quite hilarious. I, um, at one stage I reached down and you know, my doula's there going, oh yeah, reach down, feel for the baby. I'm like, oh, oh, oh it's out. I just got, oh, the head's out. Is it? The head's born. I'm like, no, 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 the whole thing, the whole baby, whole baby's born. <laughs> <laughs> so what was I, it dark or the water was murky? Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was dark. Yeah. Um, and the baby just, I reached down to touch the baby as the head emerged and she just whooshed past. Cool. Well, that's good, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And then we just got tucked up in bed and uh, my doula asked if I wanted her photographer, got some photos of the placenta, all of that sort of stuff. And it was really awesome. Oh, that sounds good. What wonderful ending to those stories. It was so good. My my partner actually came in and he's like, so are you feeling really high? And I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> he's oh, like, yeah, cool. me too. <laughs> oh, that's nice. It was really lovely. Like an hour after baby was born, everything had been cleaned up and he had a bourbon. Like it's just, it was just perfect. It sounds like a very calm and relaxing experience with no fuss yeah it was just a normal part of life so thank you very much for sharing your stories with us and it was really nice to hear your stories again actually or hear them in a bit more detail too you and I had discussed that you would share a few VBAC practical tips for the listeners to walk away with today so what would you like to share with us today work out what this birth means to you what is it that you want? And ideal birth journaling is something that I share with every single person that I speak to, no matter what sort of birth you're planning. What do you want from this birth? What does your perfect birth look like? Where is it? Who's with you? What are they saying, doing? What can you smell? What can you see? Because no matter what, 
you can bring elements of that into your birth wherever you go. But also it will help guide you as to what decisions you need to make. If your perfect birth is, like mine was beside a creek under a gum tree in a beautiful big paddock, not very realistic, but a private obstetrician who pokes and prods every three minutes is not going to be very um, aligned to that. So knowing what you want will help you to make the decisions that are going to feel in alignment. Um, that's something I found in my first two. I never really felt fully in alignment with the choices that I was making. Yes, and I think like for me, I with my free birth, I visioned, I, I call it visualisation, so yep. it's the same process, but it was yep. uh, at the beach. So mine was at the beach in this river that was going out into the ocean with the sun beating down on me and there was no one there and I was safe. It was crystal clear water because it's my favourite place in the world. Yep. And I would always think of myself in that beautiful, calm, amazing space. And obviously I wasn't going to have my birth there, but it's like how do I feel? I'm feeling yes. safe. I'm feeling calm. I'm feeling grateful, you know, all of those things. Are so yes. important to think about. It is. It is. And the other thing is don't focus on the statistics. Statistics are like they're kind of bullshit really. Um, they don't tell your story. Yes, there are things that you can do that increase or decrease your chances of having a VBAC or having a or experiencing uterine rupture or complications or all of this stuff, but statistics don't tell your story. Focus on what you want. And, you know, yes, use statistics to ask questions and to point you towards what you're feeling afraid of. I find a lot of women who are really hyper-focused on statistics um, are what I would label control freaks. It was me. It was me in my second pregnancy. The statistics were everything. Yeah. yeah. And it was a lot of wanting to regain that control. They're helpful, actually, though, in the fact that their own statistics work against them. Oh, yeah. Like, like, dude, you're suggesting something that isn't even evidence-based and you want to sit on your high perch. Like what on earth is happening here? I, I agree with you with this as well. Like they are helpful if you're freaking out. And uh, I was talking to Rachel Reed recently about this. She calls it because she's obviously into statistics. Yes. I mean, that's she's got a PhD. She's a researcher. Yes. But um, <laughs> what did she call it? She called it um, intel, intellectual, you go into intellectual analysing or something. She calls it yes. intellectual processing. And so I was like, wow, I've never heard of that before. So some of us like to go into intellectual processing as a foundational thing. And I recently did this, like I heard this really bad story outcome and I went straight to my facts and I was like statistics and I was like statistically what is the likelihood of this happening and then I went straight to rage for this is it like for the fact that it was yes. at the hands of the doctors you know so yep. some of us do process more in that way and then we go to the other side and some yes. of us are more intuitive so they don't need that at all 
But us yes. control freaks, type A personalities and uh, people like that, we want to control and hold on to everything that we possibly can. And so, yes, we maybe in some ways have a harder road, I think, because we don't have that carefree, easy breezy attitude of it'll be okay. It'll, you know, duck yep. rolling water off of duck's back. Yeah. Um, I found I really needed to lose that type A statistics analysis intellectual stuff in order to sink really deeply. Yes. But I needed that little foundation of knowing statistically this is really freaking safe what I'm doing. Yes. But it's not everything. It's just you get the nugget and you move on and then you That's work right. on surrendering and letting go and refocusing yes. on the birth and what you want rather than like getting stuck in all of that stuff because that's a yes. rabbit hole yes I had a client in my last round of my group mentoring program who was very much she was our stats person she'd come in with all the research all the stats and I'm like you don't need the stats it was very much about having the stats to back up her position with the hospital yeah the I'm like, you don't, yeah you don't, you don't need that actually Rachel Reed said to me once when I um she, she looked at me dead in the eye and said you don't need to fight for what you want. And I was like, what? <laughs> this is this is like before my free birth. And I was like, hmm. I don't. Like, I don't need to. And it was just s- s- full certainty. You don't need to explain yourself to anybody. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, because I'm there are people like your client who is an over-explainer. Being yes. a reasonable person wants them to be on her side, trying to get the support from people who are never going to be supportive. So there's like a That's mixture right. of a dynamics that's kind of happening yes. there. You've got looking for people to be on your side when they won't be, in the having wrong expectations with relationships and roles. Um, you've got the yep. people pleasing tendency. And then all of that, all of the, it's a lot. It's a very complex situation that you're kind of mixing in there. Yeah. Yes. And she actually went on to have a really beautiful home birth. Oh, beautiful. And in her testimonial for me, she basically said, thank you for getting me out of the fight space and into the calm acceptance and having my dream home birth. Mm. Um, and probably... The really important thing if you want to VBAC is to think about your care provider. Are they actually supportive of VBAC? And we talk a lot about the difference between VBAC tolerant and VBAC supportive. Yeah. I will say there is no hospital in Australia that has policies that are truly VBAC supportive. And I know that's a big call. But almost all hospitals, every hospital I've ever encountered has policies around whether you can be induced or not induced and when to induce and how long you're allowed to labour for, having continuous monitoring and cannulas and BEs and all of those things. So it is really important to have an understanding of actual physiology and what is going to help you to achieve a VBAC as opposed to hospital policies, which mm. generally speaking do not help you yeah. achieve a VBAC. Yeah, that's right. 
the women listening here are generally going have already planned, but there will be a lot of women thinking about whether home birth versus hospital birth is good for them. So this is a really good conversation for them because they're in the mindset of still going in and doing those things. And so the beauty of choosing home birth is that you don't have to do all of that stuff. If you go in the hospital, you do have to do all of that and you have to have a fight. And I just, when you've had the experience of not having to, it's like, why would you do that? Yeah. There are other ways to get the information that you need. Like if you want to have blood pressure, go get a blood pressure machine and do yes. it at home. Yes. Go and make friends with your GP or find someone who will. Get a yep. middle. There are so many avenues you can do to get the things you need. Yes. And you are able to get some of the blood tests and things. My, some of my clients are able to get some of these things. It's just yep. you just need to have the resilience and the desire. Yes. You find those people, which can be daunting because there's going to be people who slam the door in your face and laugh you out of their office. And for every 10 bad eggs, there's one good egg. And I suppose in relation to that, I remember talking, like listening to a salesperson and he was talking about sales and he was saying, I used to knock on houses and I knew I would get one sale for every 100 no's. And, I, and so I just had to get the 100 no's to get the one <laughs> sale. And that is resilience, right? Because, like, at the end of the day, you knew, and it's like, you know, you can't change it. You can't make those people buy from you. You can't That's force right. it down their throat. And so if you just keep on knocking, yes. eventually, it's very hard to do when you're pregnant and you're vulnerable. Very I'm not hard. saying it's not because we're tired, we're vulnerable, and we just want life to be easy. And it should be, but it's just not. Um, And I think my final tip is that there are always options. You triggered that thought in me. Mm. There are always options. Now, sometimes your options are crap and crap, but. (laughs) They're options. (laughs) They are options. I see so many women who tell me I have no other option. I have no other option. I have no other option. That is such a disempowering statement. Yeah. Change it from I have no other option to I have explored all of my options and decided that this one is the best, even though it's still pretty shit. I like that because I definitely was saying that. I remember a midwife saying, you've got lots of options. I was like, why don't have any options? Because I'm not willing to take those. And it was very disempowering because I didn't I felt like all of my options were taken from me so I was very victimy throughout the experience because it was all poor me I can't get a midwife no one will accept me blah 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 blah. and like I understand why I was like that I'd been beaten to almost death in the system I understand why I was like that and I understand why women are like that but if you can get a hold of your mindset and change that around it's so much more powerful. It's like, you know, I, I do have options. I can go to the hospital and I can get the shit beaten out of me or I can stay home and have the pleasure of this birth, which is scary because free birth, yeah. you know, there was a lot of things that I had to work through and I'm sure you yeah. understand the same, right? But That's it was right. the best option and it was a really good option and yeah. It just was, it just took a lot of work, a lot of, you know, responsibility and some courage, a lot of courage, I think, to 
get you to that point, especially as a people pleaser, especially as a control freak, especially as like a future, you know, anxiety warrior about all the things and trying to be reasonable. I think being the reasonable woman is probably one of the most challenging things. It is so crap. It is so crap. And I'm very happy these days to be unreasonable. <laughs> I am an unreasonable woman. <laughs> you are, no. You, I mean, that's terrible. You're unreasonable. Oh. How dare you? <laughs> that is. Oh, I've got a visitor. Well, thank you very much, Lizzie, for coming to talk today. Why don't you tell us about your program before you head off? So I run VBAC Mentoring Group Program at the moment. It doesn't have a very catchy name but VBAC mentoring group program we are kicking off the next round in a couple of weeks it's 12 sessions um, going through my 10 steps for a powerful VBAC so we talk about philosophy we talk about the people we talk about the um, physiology the psychology everything we get into the politics and the stats and the preparation and planning we do the lot over that 12 weeks Sessions are every Friday morning, so you get to come in and we have a Zoom session. Um, we chat about the little the bit of content that we do, and then we talk about how things are going on your journey at the moment. And over the last two journeys, I've had women come in, starting from that same point that I was at, the I've got to be reasonable, I've got to be in hospital, Um going to home and in my last round I had one woman had a free birth after two cesareans and another woman had a a home birth after cesarean so it is very much aimed at anyone and everyone um obviously it's a 12-week program so you need to be fairly early in your pregnancy it's definitely great for those women who want to start exploring how to make decisions that align with their values and that I align with that ideal birth philosophy. And what, how much was the price? Oh, it's $350. Australian dollars. Yes. And do you work with women worldwide or just Australia? Um, look, I mostly focus on Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that your client base is worldwide. Mm-hmm. I have worked with some women who are overseas Um it really just depends on where they are and what it is that they need at that point in time. Okay. And all the details for Lizzie's group program will be in the show notes as well. And you can get in contact with Lizzie if you need to. All the info will be in the show notes. And thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me, Ashley. It's been wonderful. So much fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the VBAC Home Best Stories podcast. I hope this episode has helped you take another step forward in your VBAC home birth journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a second to rate and review. Each review helps me get this message out to more women just like us. Want to follow along and get freebies and offerings? Find me on Instagram, Ashley L. Winning, and send me a DM to say hi. And come and join our safe group on Facebook. Just search VBAC Home Birth Support Group. Until next time, keep shining beautiful.